I literally told myself, I was like, please, hands and feet still work. <laughs> like I was, I was worried in a way that I would forget upshifting and I like my hands would just freeze. And, uh, and I was just like, come on. Like I believed I could do it, but it was a weird feeling. I was like, I just, I had a fear that maybe I would just completely disintegrate under the pressure of, of about to winning my first ever race. Welcome to Beyond Victory. Thank you very much for tuning in. Please remember to subscribe if you're new to my podcast. In this episode, my guest is Daniel Ricciardo, one of the best Formula One drivers at the moment, so an ex-colleague of mine and one of my greatest rivals at the time. Daniel was an awesome guest, really. We had a lot of fun on the talk. Conversations were great. We were discussing some of our memories, competing against each other, his motivations and purpose in life, and also overcoming the pressures of performing at an elite Formula One level. So I really hope you're going to enjoy this one. Here we go. All right. Hi, Daniel. Thank you very much for taking the time. No worries. <laughs> And thank you very much for making my dear assistant Alina her the, probably the best moment of her month or something. She'll that remember that forever. So thanks yeah, for that. Yeah, <laughs> no worries. I actually... Uh, It was emotional. It was quite a hug. <laughs> She really embraced me. <laughs> you felt the love there, yeah? Yeah, it was, it was quite a warm soul. Yeah, well, you, you tend to have that impact on the women around the world, <laughs> huh? I guess, as you, as you know. I would love to start first like, with going back to childhood, because I think there's so many like, great stories there, and, and you have one of the more you've had one of the more challenging paths also, because coming all the way from Perth to the world epicenter of racing is a hell of a long way. Do you remember that one moment where like the dream clicked and you said, okay, I want to be a Formula One racing driver? Is there that one moment? Probably not, to be honest. Like I, I loved, I loved racing. I mean, I love cars. I love motorsports growing up. And so my childhood consisted of, um, you know, weekends, some weekends spent at racetracks because my dad was, was racing, um, not to, Not to put him down, but just a local kind of series. It wasn't. It was just a hobby for him at that at that point. So he was um, rubbish. So well, I <laughs> I actually he, till this day he can still heel and toe ten times better than me. There's probably more motorsport in his DNA actually, but uh, I guess he never had really the opportunity to to pursue it any further. But um, but yes, yeah, so I was I was growing up at the racetrack, so I was very familiar with the noise, the the smell of race cars from a from a young age. And then, you know, when I was at home, I was scrolling through TV channels trying to find any any form of motorsport I could. So um, so it was definitely in me from a young age. But I mean, I, I hear some people say, you know, when I was five years old, I knew I, I was going to be an F1 driver or something. And I do struggle to believe that because who knows what you want, you know, at such a young age. Um, but yeah, as I got, I think as I started going through high school, um and kind of understanding i wasn't really passionate about anything other than racing i think that's when it kind of turned and then I, i put a bit more effort into it and figured it could it could work but it probably wasn't till we are like 16 17 years old sounds a bit similar than than in, uh, in my case that my mom is also convinced that i got all my talent from her and not from my dad <laughs> so it's probably similar in your case the talent has come from the mom then <laughs> Uh, <laughs> in what you're in what you're saying <laughs> no my dad's good my dad's good um 
But yeah, definitely like just, I mean, being in mum's arms, you know, as a kid and, and being at the track and um, I don't know, she, they, they all contributed. And as you touched on, like coming across, you know, from Australia across the, across the pond to, to Europe, that was, I think, not easy as a parent to let your son go and do that. And I did it when I was 17 and actually I was still quite a young 17 year old. I wasn't, I was quite immature, I guess. And I, I didn't think I was prepared to do it. Um, so for my parents to kind of put that trust and that support in me, that was, that was huge. So yeah, I certainly owe a lot to them for, I guess, giving me that head start, you know, without pushing me though, they never pushed me to do it. And arriving in Europe, that was really, uh, do you remember that also as a tough time, like so far away from friends, family, um, mm -hmm. and it's that dream that then kept you going. Is that the way or? Uh, absolutely. Um, and I think I was, fortunately I was still kind of young and naive enough to to know any better so I was, I was living in an apartment in a in a small town in italy with population of probably a thousand people average age of probably 97 um no internet no no nothing you know so um so my days consisted of waking up going to the gym eating lunch going to the gym sleeping um oh my goodness. but I, i didn't know better and that was like i was like well every other driver's doing this and and every current f1 driver was doing this so this is what has to be done and so i actually i didn't really get homesick or feel sorry for myself because in my head it was just what needed to be done and the weekends it was lonely but the weekends racing kept me satisfied enough that when i was home it was i had enough to look forward to and may i ask how you found your way to pay your way into that racing was it a lot yeah. than just yourself hustling and and finding <laughs> finding that next helmut marco to to support you or what was the the way in the early days yeah that was so the first so 2007 was the first year i moved to to europe and so we had enough funding that year you know so between so dad built a business uh, over the course of his life and um so that paid for the majority and then we had some family friends who also had their own businesses who chipped in a bit here and there so it all helped um but then to do a second year with you know a bit more of a budget was going to be tight so really the objective in 2007 was to do enough to get the eye of of red bull you know there was at that time there was red bull there was toyota young drivers program there was a few um so it was to try and get one of them but red bull was like as a junior coming up And seeing like the Red Bull painted cars, like they were the targets. They were the ones to, to be a part of or to beat. And uh, so that was my target. And then I, I got an email at the end of 2017 from, from Red Bull. And they asked if I wanted to do, well, they asked if I wanted to do it. Of course, I was going to do it. But they're, they're like junior evaluation test to, to see if I, I could be part of the program in, in 2008. And that's where I met Helmer. And that's where it all started. Yeah. And that was them coming towards you? Yeah. Wow, that's yeah, amazing. That was, so I, I had, um, I mean, I, and I had no podiums that year, but I, I had a lot of fourth places. And a lot of the time I was, let's say, splitting some of the Red Bull cars and, and whatever. And I wasn't necessarily in a, a top team. So I think they just recognized that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm sure there was a bit of, I don't know. I don't know if there was much else going on in the background, to be honest, but I, I certainly wasn't doing any hustling. Like I was, I was too young to hustle, but uh, it worked out. It worked out well. And then the test was um, pretty intense. Like you get five laps to pretty much show what you got. Um, but that pressure for me was like so exciting. And I just, I really felt like it was my real opportunity. You've got to give it to Helmut Marko in terms of finding huge talents. He's really, 
had a great track record over the years of finding really special special drivers, hasn't he? Absolutely. You know, Helmut was, I mean, yeah, critical in, in my, my career and, and my growth as a driver. Um, critical, crucial. Crucial is probably the, the better word. Um, I mean, I signed the contract then and there at the tests. I still had, you know, my, my gear on. and um, But, you know, it was he was always very passionate. He cared. And because he cared so much, he was also very, you know, hard sometimes and firm. But anytime I finished a conversation with him on the phone, I knew where I stood and what he expected. So it certainly, it certainly made me grow up quick. And, and I, I, yeah, respect him a lot for that. And wasn't always nice seeing his phone, uh, seeing his, his name pop up you, on your you phone. You sometimes like, get the chills, yeah? Like, oh, do I really want to add to it? But you're like, if I don't answer it now, I'm just going to have to do it later. So I was like, all right. And then sometimes you just have to listen and nod and, and suck it up. Dear listener, if you're not, of course, some of you won't know, but Helmut Marko is the head of Red Bull Motorsports and he is the guy who's, who picks the talent and also uh, sort of is the lead consultant or sort of boss even of the Red Bull Formula One team. Uh, so what was the worst telephone call that you heard from him? The one where it was uh, uh, the most intense. <laughs> Can you fill well, us in? And how, I, how, that, how you take that as a young driver then? Uh, I so mean, I'll the, tell you one that I got, for example, my okay. first year in Williams. So uh, Sam Michael, the boss of Williams, my first, first year, fellow Australian, fellow yeah. tough guy. Um, <laughs> after four races, I crashed on the first lap. He calls me after the race. Uh, Nico, you were totally useless to the team this weekend. That's it. Oh, my goodness. I was a young guy, 20 years, first four, f fourth race in F1. And this guy was, for me, the Helmut Marco because I had so much respect. You were totally useless to the, I to still the get, whole team. I still as well. get the shakes. That's I and they're, they're the worst ones when there's no swear words. Like so, it's oh yeah, not exactly. Like, yeah. When they're real words, <laughs> that's when it hurts more. Yeah. Um, so the, the so the hel helmet was <laughs> helmet was um it was the start of 2010. So it was my first season in uh, World Series by Renault at that time. Um, and I was coming into the season, you know, young driver, hot and one of the favorites and. Um, about a few, or two weeks before the first test. And we only had two tests, so it was limited. But uh, basically, I, I had a crash on my mountain bike and uh, fractured my wrist. And uh, I knew I couldn't do the first test. Like, I could hardly move my, my hand. But I still flew to Jerez in Spain to try and show that I was going to at least try. And, and I did the outlap, and I came straight back to the pits. And I, I just said, sorry, guys, I can't. So then my phone rings, <laughs> helmet. Oh, geez. what happened? I was like, I, I really tried. I, I, I couldn't. I was like, I'm so sorry, but I'll, 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 you know, I'll let it heal and don't worry, I'll, I'll be ready for the first race. And did you think maybe that was, it, that was it for me and my Red Bull? Uh, uh, I maybe, knew it was going to be tough because then the next words were, it was very, a lot of silence and then <laughs> it still kissed me. You're an idiot. And hung up. That's it? Yeah. Holy moly. <laughs> and I know it's like, as I said, oh he could have goodness. gone and said, you're an effing this and an effing oh that. That would have been easier, but just like, you're an idiot and hung up. I was just like, oh. So yeah, so I did the next test in Magnicourt. It was probably about 10 days later. And I remember all the hairpins because I couldn't get enough um, rotation with my wrist. I was just like one hand, but that that's where I started. And, and that was, it all just got better then, but. I got pole in the first race, actually. Awesome. So that's that was the way to right. come back, huh? <laughs> but that's yeah, there was a few calls. That's fight back. <laughs> a few calls from Helmut. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So right. one-handed Kubica, no problem, huh? Doable. Yeah. I, like you get <laughs> Not into... that he one-hands it, but he, he has less of the second hand, so... It's like what he's doing also is 
is impressive and I think it's cool to see him back. Um, I, it's a shame to see the, the situation the team's in. Yeah, of course. I yeah. think for any F1 fan to see a, a team like Williams be struggling like that, it's not. It's obviously not cool, but um, to see him back on the grid and his whole story is amazing. But um, yeah, it's when you need more lock, that's where it's going to struggle. But uh, but he's all right. He's been through a lot, so he's driving an F1's easy for him now. <laughs> no, big big respect for him. Uh, I still I want to come back a little bit. You have the coolest nickname, I find, like for any sports personality or whatever, because it just fits so well. Uh, the honey badger yeah <laughs> and i just want to go through uh like where where it happened because i of course uh, had to study quite a lot about your life uh, this morning <laughs> and yesterday and so there was this really nice story of you've not always been the honey badger because mm -hmm. when you were starting out in karting i don't know 13 years old or, or whatever you were um really uh, shy and insecure and not going for those opportunities and sort of holding back and and not wanting to uh, to cause uh, to cause a mess is that yeah. is that a bit the truth yeah definitely like i was i was never really a fan of conflict you know and and i was um so a lot of the time racing i was fast enough but you know i'd get close to the guy in the lead or whatever and i wouldn't always pull the trigger and i was hesitant so for a lot of years i was like just had the speed but didn't have that tenacity or it's it just it looked like i just didn't want it bad enough and and at that age yeah i probably thought that was true i didn't really know um but then i think over the years and i had a few driver coaches in karting and and they they hardened me up a little and you know by the kind of the end of my karting career i was you know i got that that kind of killer instinct in me and i think i always i mean you always have it in you but you just yeah I, You, you, I sometimes just needed someone to reinforce it, you know, that I that I was strong enough, basically. Um, so, yeah, I, I got it in karting and eventually I entered that phase of my career being, I thought, quite badass on the track. Um, but then, like, fast-forwarding a bit to then when I got to F1, it felt like I was starting back at square one, you know, in karting and the cars are fast. These drivers have been here a lot longer than me. They're, you know, older and more experienced and... Like I, I wasn't, I was just a bit intimidated probably and overwhelmed by the whole environment. So I had to kind of start from scratch again, but I knew it was in me because again, I'd, I'd proved it in the karting, um, but it just took time. So the, the honey badger name, um, it came from, so my, my trainer at the time, Stu, um, he was, I think he'd seen one of the documentaries on it or he'd seen something on, on YouTube and, um, And he came up, he showed me the video and he goes, mate, this is, this is you. He's like, I know this is you because you're obviously you're nice and you seem friendly and you are cuddly and cute and whatever. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's like, you have this, you have this, you know, killer instinct in you and you can make this switch. And I think this, this fits you perfectly and it's up to you now to, you know, run with it and, and show everyone that you can be this, this character. So um, I made a point when I got to Red Bull in 2014, I was like, this is my big opportunity. I'll be racing at the front. I can't be pushed around because if I get pushed around from the first race, it's, it's going to continue like that. So, uh, that was it. And I felt that's when I really adopted the honey badger. And that's when it's, I felt it, it flourished and a lot of big overtakes. And I, I went from the nice guy to being like the quite aggressive racer, but not aggressive, just strong and determined and had a lot of conviction. Yeah. That's a nice, so just to uh, fill in one more time for the honey badger, um, the honey badger <laughs> is a complete nutcase, by the way, Yeah, because <laughs> he's, he's, as you said, cute and cuddly, but he will attack 
pythons and tigers. Yes. <laughs> and they will be scared of him. Yes. So this guy is proper, like, he's the most fearless animal in the animal kingdom. Yes. So I think it's really uh, it's such a cool animal and such a cool comparison. But also just uh, one more time coming a little bit back, um, in the stories of big su successful people, there's always these um, moments of guides coming in and giving this small uh, twist and then and, and create uh, helping to give this huge progress. And I think in your in your path to becoming a honey badger, which um, I think is so so cool because to improve as a human being is really difficult and to adapt your approach is really difficult. So from being like someone who holds back and is scared of conflict to the complete opposite, to really being always courageous and going right into the conflict and the challenge uh, is a big transition. I think that's really, really inspiring uh, for, for even for me and for everybody who's listening. And um, maybe the two guides was one, which I read um, the day where you really like you were so fast and you just lost or held back in practice um, because you just had so much respect for the guys in front who were actually slower, but you didn't want to create conflict and pass them. And then on the way home, your dad seems to have quite a strong character as well yeah. and seems to expect his son uh, to push in life, I guess. I don't know if that's correct. And he showed you his extreme disappointment at why you wouldn't just hit it and, and, and go for it. Is that right? And was that also yeah. a little bit of a turning moment for you? That that was, that that day was, um, I never talked about it much, but yeah, you just described it. I was in practice. So he'd taken a day off work and, you know, these were still in the days where he's trying to build his business and he's working six, seven days a week. So anytime he took off to take me carding was... Yeah, a sacrifice, I guess, for him. So um, I just basically sat behind these two guys fighting in practice and I, I was just, I just wasn't there. You know, I was just there to be there. And uh, so he, I could tell as soon as I got out of the cart, his look, I was like, he's he's pissed. Um, so we put the cart and I was like, <laughs> I know a thing or two about critical looks on Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> it's again it's 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 when they don't when they say little that's what hurts the most you know if he went and flipped it i'd i'd be like all right but the the silent treatment is always the worst from from anyone that you you respect or, or love so um so there was another practice later that day but as soon as we got back to the the trailer he put the cart straight in the trailer and i knew i was like oh and we drove home nothing no words no nothing and uh i remember calling one of my friends that night and I said, look, I, I practiced today. It, it, I was just not really there. And uh, I, I think it's, I think I'm done. Like, I don't expect to ever drive again. Like, I think my dad will, he's not going to let me ever race again. So uh, I thought my day was, my, my career, so to speak, was done. And oh, I would have been. hard though. Yeah, I was probably 11 at that time. So, you know what though? I look back and I, like my dad is, yeah, he's firm, but he's not, I don't, I wouldn't consider him you know, too hard or too pushy. He always gave me every opportunity to go and do it myself. But uh, I guess if he felt like I wasn't applying myself, he would just remind me. But uh, yeah, that was that was an interesting one. So, but again, I knew I knew I knew what was expected, and a bit like with helmet, you know, you you knew once you finished that conversation what was required to move forward. But now today, you're thankful for that firmness from your dad, no? Because yeah. he's helped make you into who you are today in that way, right? And yeah. where you are today. Absolutely. And you, you know, I look, I look at even just things that I do now and whether it's on track or off track. And I guess you just get to an age where you finally appreciate your parents and what they've done for you and the way they brought you up. You know, at times I was like, I thought that was so strict and not letting me sleep at a friend's house or something. But 
there's all there's reasons for everything and and now i'm so grateful for my upbringing and you know i think they had a, a great balance with allowing me to do my own thing but still keeping a bit of a leash on me and keeping me in line um i'm not a parent but i could only imagine i mean maybe you can explain but i guess finding that balance with with kids and giving them enough freedom to for them not to hate you but also letting them know that there's still guidelines and and yeah i don't know rules to follow tough Oh, very tough. It's mm. the toughest uh, job in the world. Yeah. You will you will uh, <laughs> um get to know it one day. Yeah. <laughs> um one more one more moment of becoming a honey badger. You're on the grid, you're second. There's the other guy who's the probably the big guy who's uh, mm -hmm. uh, the favorite to win yeah. and your coach, not your dad this time, but a coach that came into your life, another guide, like gave you a bit of a push to go into a really big moment of discomfort, but again, you learned a lot. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that was so that was um That was with Michael. Um, so he was, so I had, uh, when was that? Probably, yeah, it would have been maybe 14 or something. And uh, basically we're on the grid and, you know, we, we were like fierce rivals through the whole championship and competition. And um, we knew that we didn't really like each other because we were rivals, but we're there and I'm obviously young and whatever, naive. And, and he goes, go up and wish him good luck. And I kind of laughed. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, no, like, go do it. He goes, he's not expecting it. It's just before the race. He's trying to focus and get in his get in his rhythm, whatever. It's like, you will completely break him if you go up, shake his hand and wish him good luck. He'll be, he'll be lost. He won't know what to do. And I did it. And I could tell straight away when I did it. I mean, it was awkward for me, but it was more awkward for him. And I was just like... I get it. I see. I see what he just got me to do, and it was it was great. And that was like just little things along the way. Like I think they're so fun. Like these little mind games, and but that was one that definitely stood out for me. And the guy did he look like he saw a ghost in that yeah. moment? Then yeah. So I like not to exaggerate, but I do remember his handshake. It was like a bit limp, and it was just he was just completely caught off guard, completely, and it 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 messed with him. So yeah. I like it. Uh, that part of that like s psychology behind any sport, I I really enjoy. Uh, learning to play the mind games there. Huh? <laughs> trying, <laughs> trying. Um, you would have had a few, I'm sure. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! I had yeah. Michael Schumacher as my teammate. So this oh, guy, this guy, three years, Mister Mind Games, the absolute master, and he doesn't even have to think about it. it just comes natural to him. Just, <laughs> just, it's just the way he, the way he is. So way he operates. Uh, th that was a big, big. Um, a big big learning curve yeah i guess and i guess you took a lot from that yeah huge no no huge just the the, the warrior mentality really the warrior mentality that that uh, michael had is just phenomenal and living and breathing it every every single day and and okay sometimes too extreme but always trying to get into my head from the morning till the evening just trying to get into my head yeah and just trying to ruin my self-confidence <laughs> did you always know or it only clicked after like ah that's what he was doing or when he approached you for example you knew straight away what he was doing no i'm quite i'm quite aware i'm a very uh, self-aware person and, and aware of moments i also learned that along the years so i would notice but even if you notice nonetheless it still it still hits you hard and i mean there's so many examples one example monaco qualifying Mm -hmm. there's only uh, there's only one toilet in the garage as you know uh, i don't know in red Bull, yes, but in Mercedes, yes. there's only one toilet toilet in the garage i don't even know if we got and, one and yeah. uh, <laughs> and so he's in the toilet and i go down and it's 10 minutes before and i know that okay i have my two minute session now for the last pee and then jump in the car and go qualifying and so i knock on the door because the door is locked 
And I'm like, uh, Nico here, please let me in, because usually it's the mechanics who will then, of course, know that in this moment, I'm, I have priority. to be the priority. Yeah. No answer, nothing. So I'm like knocking, knocking, no answer, nothing, locked. But I can hear that someone's in there. So here was Michael in the toilet, leaning against the wall, looking at his watch. And he knew that if, but if, if as long as he made it out with three minutes to go, he could still just about jump in the car, put the seatbelts and go before losing actual time and ruining the whole team strategy of qualifying. <laughs> so he's in there looking at his watch, just like chilling out, counting down. <laughs> and I'm outside full panic Ruthless. mode. I'm in full panic mode because I need to, I can't go in qualifying with a full bladder. It, it will sucks. ruin my, it absolutely sucks like anything. Mm -hmm. And so, and there's no options for me. So full panic, and uh, and so I went for the uh, oil bucket option in the corner. <laughs> Did you really? Did you really? Yes. It was, this, it was not even a bucket. It was like this plate or whatever. I don't know. There was no option, and mechanics running, working around, and I'm just there, and the, you know. And even though, so I managed to uh, to do the what I needed to do, but mm -hmm. the panic had such an impact on my on my qualifying. And so whilst I'm, whilst I'm with my oil bucket, the door opens, Michael chills out, walks out. As soon as he leaves from the corner, he starts walking faster because so, he knows it's like, it's like two seconds to go to a qualifying. And these games all day long, all day long. And for example, also one of his main missions was never to show that I existed in his life. Like he would never in any meetings, never ever ask, oh, what was done on Nico's car? Or, hey, Nico... Uh, what did you uh, think, did you think there? But really? not once in three years. Like, I, I did not exist. So he, he wouldn't wow. show me at all that I'm that I even play a tiny role in his mind at any time. It was like so, like so warrior uh, extreme. Um, but but you know nothing against that. It's it's a great uh, sports yeah. approach. And he never he never exaggerated. It was always uh, the fine line. Um, never like unfair or evil or things like that. Always the fine psychological line. But uh, what a, I mean, and, and every day, you know, it's like, so but I learned a lot. As you say, that obviously it takes something away from you, but also that, that requires a lot of energy, I think, to constantly be on that, be one step ahead and, and play those games, I guess. I mean, it probably does come fairly natural to some people, but I think it's still, it has to take something away from them, even though, they still might be getting the upper hand, like to constantly think about, oh, what can I do? And I'll make sure I don't mention his name because I don't want him to exist. And so, it, yeah, interesting. Well, but that's with, cool. With Michael, I think it really came so naturally. Okay. He lived and breathed it. Um, with me, it's, I'm the opposite of that. So I had to, I had to learn it. I had to learn it, especially with, with Lewis and in the team. Because you have to stand up and and think about those things mm -hmm. uh, and and fight against those things and into those things, otherwise there's no chance. Uh, so I really had to uh, also change quite a lot, and that was tough because I always had to think about it. It would never come naturally. Always think, okay, I have to do this now, even if it's hell discomfort. Yeah, uh, I have to do it because I know that it's gonna put him some self doubt. Um, and as, as you know, that's part of the yeah part of the game but for <laughs> me it's it's really uh really not so not so natural i want to go into some of your best moments of f1 so far the most beautiful the reasons <laughs> have, for doing the sport because it's just so amazing what would the one stand out i mean the, the <laughs> it's the obvious one but considering you're in the room i have you to thank for no not that one <laughs> <laughs> not that one come on was that later in the in the chat um well, you wanted me to bring it up, didn't you? No, no, no. It's that one, yeah. Oh, I mean, look, that was... That was painful for me. <laughs> yeah. 
But from what I understand, you did very well to get through. I mean, you second. You still you still got yep. second. So yep. so we're talking about uh, June the eighth, two thousand fourteen. You remember the Montreal? Date. How come? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> first ever win. First ever win. And uh, the crate. I mean, the race was crazy. So I just. I mean, it was nice to. I think it's always nice. Obviously, to, winning's winning, but to win a race that's eventful and that does get remembered, that's also quite cool. And I remember I was kind of whatever fourth, fifth through the race, and I think Perez was in third, doing well. But all of a sudden. I just remember seeing, and I knew you guys were so fast, you and Lewis. And all of a sudden, I saw you guys like coming, exiting a corner. And I just, I was like, I think, was that a Mercedes? And then I see two and I'm like, what the hell? And then my engineers, like they, they got problems. They got problems like, come on, push, push. And if you can get Perez, you know, you might actually have a shot at winning this thing. But it just happened so quickly. And I was like, holy crap. Like all of a sudden, like I was just like maybe a podium and there's like a win could be on today. And then, yeah, I won't go into how it all happened, but that was just a crazy race and crazy feeling. And passing a Mercedes down a straight, <laughs> that was that was pretty rare, far and few between. So doing that was pretty, yeah, pretty unique. And actually, I remember, so I passed you down the, the DRS straight before the last chicane with about two or three laps to go. And I think because I had such a run and the DRS was on, I braked quite late into the into the chicane and i remember literally losing the rear into the chicane and i was like oh my gosh could you imagine if i if i put it in the wall going for the lead but um so yeah the moments that followed so i hit the lead and all i remember was i literally told myself i was like please hands and feet still work like i was i was worried in a way that i would forget upshifting and i like my hands would just freeze and uh and i was just like come on like i believed i could do it but it was a weird feeling. I was like, I just, I had a fear that maybe I would just completely disintegrate under the pressure of, of about to winning my first ever race. But, but that was uh, two opposites now, because you said you believed you could do it, but you had the fear that you would disintegrate because it's <laughs> such an extreme situation. Uh, until, but which, which one then? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, as a driver, I always believed and, and I believed I belonged there and, and that season was going well. So I, I believed that it was all, I was good to go, but because it was unfamiliar it was the first time i'd ever led a race i was like holy shit just make sure things still work so it was like i guess a in a way like a split second of fear being like this is this is foreign to me and i was like i, I believe i'm good for it but you just don't know till you're in that position but i remember getting through turn one and two everything was cool i was like all right just stay calm and then uh and then get it done but um i think the cool thing about that day probably more than anything is, and I'd like to hear your thoughts. First win, because it's something you you do dream of as a kid, even if you don't believe it, you know, until later in your career, but it is a dream since a kid. I was worried it would just be a big blur and I wouldn't remember anything, but I, I do remember so much of it quite vividly and standing on the podium. That was something in a way it's like I'd kind of visualized before and everything just felt so amazing and so real. So I was just really stoked that it wasn't a blur and I could really enjoy the moment and I still remember the moment. But your first win, how how was that? A blur or somewhere uh, my, in the my, Yeah, my first win was 2012, then China. Mm -hmm. And um, it had been such a long time. It was 111 races. So it was like forever. And I, I, I that came would have to been a, a GP2, your, your win before? 
Oh, when yeah, you say it's yeah, been yeah, a long GP2. time. Yeah, GP2 2005. Oh, since your first F1 race. 2005 racing. and was the last win, which was in GP2. So I never won F1 until 2012, which was, oh. which was like six years and 111 okay. races into my career. And again, we had a terrible car that year, so there was no chance. And, and I didn't believe, I, I probably didn't even believe I'd ever win a race at that, at that point. Because I'm, I'm not the guy who has that huge self-belief. Um, never, never did have. And uh, yeah, it was just, it's just amazing. So powerful. And so it's just the most extreme emotions to win in sports and then to share it with your, your friends, family, the millions watching. Mm -hmm. And that's w what I'll miss now forever because you'll, you'll never get that again in the rest of the life. That extreme, uh, exhilarating, uh, excess of, of powerful emotions. I don't think it happens again. It's much slower in the rest of the life. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of scared so. about that. Like, <laughs> I don't know, living such a high. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, trying to fulfill that high for the rest of your life that's i don't want to say i'm scared but yeah i'm curious to know what it is that's going to find that or something close to that but yeah is that something you you said you're missing but do you think you will find it through another avenue or are you going to take up skydiving or something to yeah. get that adrenaline I, I don't know no so damn i don't think it's ever going to be there again the the, the feelings of of winning that first race or winning monaco and you've done mm -hmm. all those as well or, or winning championship, I don't think ever again. The, the party afterwards with friends, <laughs> it's just yeah. unbelievable memories and, and so lucky. We're so lucky in sports to be able to experience those, those moments. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's possible uh, again, because even you would say like, okay, wedding is a, is a big one as well. Yeah. So you have that one to look forward to. Um, getting kids, not so much because it's so, it's so crazy intense. So it takes away a lot of the, a lot of the pleasure, enjoyment. enjoyment in that moment. It's not just that pure thrill. It's there's so much relief in that moment after the birth, especially if you have a, a difficult birth. So, and then there's nothing else after that. I mean, in jobs, you're not, no <laughs> way you're going to have that thrill. It doesn't matter. I just got a huge deal yesterday, actually, but it just, it's, it's months in the making. And suddenly I get an email where it says, uh, okay, we'll do Congrats. it. <laughs> well, great. Thank you very much. I you, you, you know. <laughs> I know, yeah. But there's no way, I mean, there's going to be any thrill. So that's, that's a pity, but that's the way it is. And just got to look back and say, hey, that was just so lucky and just so amazing. And, and, uh, always keep the book there in the next to you where, where those memories are kept. So you can from time to time look back at those, at those pictures. And that is the challenge for all of us after sports, because it's just so damn extreme. Mm -hmm. And then after sports, it's, it's gone and you, and it goes away. And to get used to that new life where that's not there anymore. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a challenge for, for all of us, yeah, which we, which we need to go through. Um, yeah. but fine. It's the way it is. It just takes a bit of time. It's a good perspective though. When you say like, at least you, you look back on it with, it was a privilege, you know, and it was amazing to have, have at least have, have had an opportunity to, to live that life and to do it. So, and it, it it's never going to last forever, but yeah, if you look back with it on that positive take, as opposed to the negative of, oh, I'm never going to get that again, then. I think that's half half your battle. Yeah, the never going to get that again remains though. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, Monaco 2016. Oh. No, what the hell? Oh damn! So this is another tough moment. Monaco 2016. Yeah, you got. Uh, um, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'm smiling. May, may I, no, but it's, no. 18 is the one you smile about. 16, you're not smiling yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. Six, six, 16. I said, yeah, I'm smiling now. I wasn't there. Ah, okay, I okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Barcelona, I don't know if I'm allowed to use the word shafted, but I think you got a bit shafted by your team there. And the little young uh, young kid from the block uh, got benefited with strategy. So Verstappen got his first win. And yeah. then you go to Monaco 
and you're um, you're leading the race, easy win, easy yeah. win, and then you get robbed by bad luck or whatever because the team messes up the pit stop. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with a, a situation like that? Two such extreme races, setbacks, horrible. I mean, it's like pure darkness, isn't it? How do you deal with that in the, in those moments? That's yeah. I think having him back to back, that was tough. I'd never I'd never really had that. Uh, I guess gone through that experience before and, and we went winless in 2015. So, you know, 2016 would come in Barcelona. We're in that position. Thanks to you guys. Um, but yeah, we we're leading the whole race really from lap one after that, that safety car. And I was two seconds a lap slower than you, by the way, <laughs> you were, I was right behind you <laughs> in Barcelona. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Oh, oh, wrong, wrong race. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, 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 um, Monaco. No, no. Barcelona, <laughs> I, I cleared the way for you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Barcelona happened and I was obviously massively upset because I felt a win was, was lost through strategy. Um, so I came into Monaco with a bit of a chip on my shoulder, I guess. And yeah, the weekend was dominant. Pole, my first ever pole in F1. So that was a, a massive moment. And I think to do it in Monaco is unique. Uh, and then the race, it started wet. And any street circuit in the wet is, it normally spells chaos. Like, especially if you're on pole and you got pole in the dry, you oh. don't want to wake up to rain on Sunday morning. It's just, it's the truth. You just don't <laughs> want it. So already Sunday morning, I was like, all right, we got a few curveballs, but I'll, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'll be right. So you try and see and, the positives. Yeah. And I was, I was like, you know, it's just going to test me, but I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. And uh, so through the wet, the first phase of the race, I was actually doing quite well holding holding my own and then uh yeah pit stop tires weren't ready and uh and that's when lewis lewis got the the lead and, and won the race so um i guess it was the first time in my whole career actually that i'd left before the the debrief oh, really? so like after media I, i i went straight back home um and i just didn't i didn't feel like seeing or speaking to anyone and i did i knew it wasn't going to be productive as well like for me to go and throw a table or something isn't useful and <laughs> have you done that i haven't well i don't think so <laughs> no i haven't but also i wasn't really in i wasn't interested in the sympathy i knew people were going to come up and say i'm so sorry but i just needed to be on my own so um yeah that was that was tough um yeah i don't know i it just it hurt it hurt because i think and, and with racing unfortunately there's so many variables you know and and as a driver you can prepare as well as you can and and there's races where i'm sure you felt it you rock up to a race weekend knowing you are in the best condition of your life and you might have a terrible weekend for reasons unknown or for things out of your control and that's where it's hard because it's like yeah what do i have to do to kind of get this thing going um but fortunately i'm positive and once i let the emotion kind of pass I looked back on the weekend and I was like, it was a massively positive weekend. I was the fastest. I, I got my first pole. So bring the positives with me to Montreal and, and leave the negatives to for the team to kind of sort out. And that's just with time and, and because naturally you're, you're, you tend to be a positive person, yeah? So you, yeah. you like, you're able to focus on those positives yeah, with I, time always, yeah? That's, time, a, that's a big strength, huh, I guess. Time definitely heals most things and... Uh, I had I had family with me. I had some friends here for that weekend and, and they help. You know, I think sometimes being on your own is nice and sometimes you need your own space. But in terms of getting picked up, I think having close friends helps, you know, and uh, I had some friends from Perth who were here that weekend and yeah, they, they helped me rally through it. So um, 
Yeah, and also I've always had that kind of mindset that it could be worse and even a bad a bad day for me that day was a second place in Monaco. You know, like one of the worst True. days of my life was a second place in Monaco. So I also don't want to, I never want to seem like ungrateful or spoiled. You know, I know the competitor in me will show the frustration, but I think the human in me will always appreciate the position I'm in and, and try and see that perspective. So it did get worse, Azerbaijan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Azerbaijan. Um, You're pushing me, I, I won't break. No, no, but it's, it's, no, but it's, it's important to, to go into <laughs> nah, these, uh, absolutely. as well as the really beautiful moments, to also go into the tough moments, because uh, also for everybody who's listening, um, the tough moments in sport, in your words, actually, you, you, you also said racing at the top is absolutely brutal. Um, and it's especially because of those tough moments as well. Yeah. Uh, so Azerbaijan, now you're, you're racing uh, Max and uh and you're at fault pri primarily i'm not sure if that was the conclusion but that's my my opinion anyways and and take him out um and so it's uh i know all about oh uh, your opinion is uh, i took him out sorry your opinion is i took him out uh, my opinion is that you were more at fault is that not was ah, that okay. not the conclusion this podcast is finished <laughs> no but uh, <laughs> anyways anyway this was my opinion that <laughs> no, you no. more percentage on your side it's all, whatever it's all good I whatever just... um and not not important long time ago but uh, <laughs> but okay so both both cars go out actually maybe on this one i mean for you it's going to be super tough again personally i think similar similar to monaco did you uh, did you feel a little did you feel also letting down your team in that moment being being such a tough uh, tough thing to cope with Yeah, it was um, it was tough because I I felt the whole race I didn't feel the whole race had been managed well. You know, like Max and I were battling, and as far as teammates go, we're battling too hard. And I was surprised that the team didn't kind of put a stop to it. Um, and uh, you know, I was yeah, I felt like I was giving enough room, but a lot of the time, you know, he was kind of coming up into me and, and banging wheels and that. And I'm, I'm all like, I, I like tough racing and that it's fun and it's cool and it keeps you going. But I felt like at times, again, because we were teammates, I was like, why isn't the team addressing this? Um, and I also, I, maybe it's, Uh, maybe it's something I should have done different, but I, I've never been one to come on the radio and complain too much and be like, oh, he hit me. Like, what's he doing? And because I'm a racer and I, and I you know, I, I respect the tough racing, but I felt like the team should have addressed it. So then then they pitted me first. So I finally got past him. Um, then they pitted me first, but it was like one of the only tracks in the year where the undercut, sorry, pitting first is not stronger. You know, the overcut works, so staying out longer you know, because the tires are so slow to warm up on on uh, on such a smooth surface. So they pit me first and I was kind of confused. And then uh, so naturally he pits after, comes out back in front of me. Sucks. And I'm like, guys, I'm like, we're going to have the same scenario again. So I might I, I might have said like, is he going to let me pass or something? Because I was leading before the, the pit. And let's uh, just say the truth. You said, get the get him the hell out yeah, of the way now. <laughs> pretty much. And then my engineer, I remember him saying like, no, like, You've got to pass him again. Oh. And I was like, you know what? I, I had no intention, obviously, of crashing, but I was not surprised. So when I went for it, so I went to do like the kind of dummy. So I moved out. I saw him move out. So I went back in. So at that point, there was space. And then he's he's kind of uh, made that second move in. And I'm like, oh, I was like, that space is now gone. And then there was no way for me to pull out of it. So um, 
I was just angry, I guess, at the at that initial moment. I really didn't feel sorry for anyone. I just felt anger, how it was kind of all managed, I guess. Um, but then the days that that followed, yeah, of course, I felt sorry for the for the team and and for it's it's more the you know obviously all the parts we damaged in that crash. You know, I felt sorry for the people that spent hours putting you know those parts together and making them perfect and, and we've just gone and disintegrated them um, i actually had to pay for my parts did you <laughs> at the time we we uh, i guess they didn't take you to that point <laughs> not the parts we we did a little bit but it was oh you had yeah. to pay as well there was a little like oh interesting kind of apology gift for everyone okay but, um but so then, that's, yeah, how, we, that's how the team manage it apology gift and, and also yeah and then we addressed, the together, we addressed the factory yeah. together hand, yeah. hand in hand yeah so <laughs> um yeah so we went uh when was it It would have been probably like midweek after the race we were in in milton Keynes, and, and we um yeah everyone like for their post-race debrief and max and i were were along for that and you know that that actually felt good to kind of address everyone and i guess to apologize for whether i think it was all my fault or his fault or the team's fault i think as as a man and in the position we're in we have to address it and I think it's always better speaking to people face to face than over message or over the phone. And that was, um, yeah, but it just, it, I guess it didn't sit that well with me, how it was kind of handled. Um, but that's just what you get when you got too young. Well, he's younger, but too young, determined drivers. You know, you get whatever, you get pride, you get egos in the way and these things can happen. So good times well done baku well done <laughs> okay let's go to redemption come on so your greatest race i, I guess monaco um, 2018 would you say the most beautiful and, and or one of the most beautiful and greatest races the 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 outcome yes absolutely the race itself actually sucked you know i hated nearly every lap because i had the 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 issue from i think lap 28 of about 78 so 50 laps unbelievable that's what i thought that's and as soon as I felt this loss of power, again I'd done everything I needed to that weekend, and I just put myself in the right position to win. And then I came out of the casino square, and I felt something. And I couldn't—I don't know if I necessarily felt the lack of power yet, but I, I heard that I knew something was wrong. And then I pulled out of the hairpin, uh, Mirabeau, is it or whatever? And then I don't know the names Lev, of the corners. Lives, 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 and uh, and I, I, I felt a loss of power, and I just came on the radio and I told the guys. And it wasn't anger, it was actually just devastation. And I, and I thought, when you start losing power, you think it's going to keep dropping, dropping until the engine's done. Um, but yeah, I, I got through a few more laps and and I asked the engineer, I said, is it going to get better? He goes, no. And then I was like, oh, so I was like, I got to deal with this now for something, 50 odd laps. Did and you manage to pull some positives from that moment again? No, at this time, no. Uh, so Not always possible. No, actually, for, for a few laps, I was let's say pretty negative and pretty down. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to keep Seb behind me. I'm like, we're already a bit of a power deficit on the straights. Horrible moments. And now we've got 160 horsepower horrible, less. Horrible. And I was just like, there's no way. And then probably five laps passed and I could see I was actually staying afloat and he was getting bloody close. But I was like, if I, if I get this clean, if I get that corner clean, that exit, I reckon I'll be able to defend. And fortunately, Monaco's tight. So then I started, my confidence came back and I kind of grew confidence uh, through the rest of the race. And I got to a point probably with, in my head, I told myself, if I get to 20 laps to go, 
without uh, still being in the lead, I said, I'm not losing this race. So that was my like mini target. I said, get to 20 laps to go. So then I remember getting to that point. I was like, no one's taking this. And then, yeah. <laughs> wow, amazing how you was, built yourself up through that. Yeah, it was, it was a process. Yeah. Did you have to change all the brake balances as well? Like brake balance massively forwards? Because yeah. yeah. I know because I had this, this in is 2014. In, this is your the, first race win. Yeah. Me, I was in the same situation. Unfortunately, uh, you did better than me because I lost out to you. And yeah. you, actually, you actually won it. In your defense, in your defense, there was longer straights on, on Montreal. So you, you had a bit more time to bleed. Yeah, but my car was but, also three times quicker than your, than <laughs> yeah. your Red Bull in 2008. I'll take it. Um, <laughs> so because, but that, imagine that in Monaco, brake balance probably 5% forwards yeah. in Monaco. A lot of lifting and coasting. Massive lift and coast because you're burning so much more fuel. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That takes some adapting yeah. in, this, in this horrible, high-pressure, distraught moments that's that's impressive yeah it was it was and you know what at the time i probably because i had so much going on i wasn't aware of how much i was needing to manage and it was only after the race and after that weekend where the team and i could see like my engineer he was literally like he had no and this is no disrespect to him but with all the problems we had during that race he had no belief that we were going to win so when i saw his face after I, I kind of realized that I'd done something pretty great to get to get it to the line, like to even finish. They're like, we don't even know how how you got it home. So so I, I don't want to blow smoke, but just it was I didn't realize it because you're just so focused and you're in it and you just you're constantly dealing and adapting lap after lap. But when I saw the emotion on the team, I realized that what we'd done was was pretty awesome. I'll say we. I won't say I. I said what we done. <laughs> That's your engineer when he was speaking to you during those first five laps of really tough did you feel his disappointment as well yeah. like his he thought it was the end yeah absolutely yeah. So that makes it even more tough though doesn't it yes in so that moment because you just feel his disappointment and you and and he's like the message is bringing across it's this is over yes and that, and i think that's what he thought as well so he i think you probably agree like a lot of the time your engineer feeds off you and you feed off your engineer. Exactly, massive, uh, massive it's, communication importance there emotionally. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I agree totally. And that's so when he when I said is is the problem going to get fixed or better, and then he said no, it isn't. And the tone he said no, it isn't. I knew I was like, this is this is done. Um, but then, as I said, once we started doing a few more laps, and you know, I would start to maybe pick up my radio communication, then I could tell his tone of voice was getting a bit more positive and. And then by the end, I remember with a few laps to go, I think he said, all right, you got like four laps to go. Like you're doing awesome. Um, and he gave me like an instruction and I just said, mate, I got this buddy. Like, and I just gave him that kind of closure and that I'm good and <laughs> cool. to leave me the F alone. Awesome. Because I want the next few laps by myself. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I actually did a lot of work on this uh, with my engineer because I I'd, I'd had the same engineer for 10, 10 of my 11 F1 years, always the same engineer. Whoa. Um, yeah, so my first year and my last year was the same engineer all the way through. Um, That's and I did a lot of work with him on this because he was also always so real to me. When he was disappointed on the pit wall and had no more hope, he would show he it to it. me immediately on the radio. Mm -hmm. And we did a lot of work together that I was explaining to him how important it is for him to whatever happens, keep fiery and keep positive and keep pushing me and keep mm -hmm. optimistic. And he also there changed so much. And that was really powerful, even for my last year in F1 then. He would always keep building me up in, in like crucial moments. Yeah. So that was really, uh, really cool progress. Yeah, so powerful. 
And I don't um, think they realize it until no, you exactly. address it. But Well, the, the, they often forget that we're human beings in the car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they, and it's they, they think we're an extension of their lines <laughs> on the computer. No, I'm serious. Yeah, very often true. the engineers who are mathematical <laughs> geniuses, um, they think we're true. just extensions of those lines that they see on their computers and forget that we actually have emotions in that car and, and we sometimes have fear and worries and self-doubt and, and all of that. Um, so that's also something that you, it's important to try and remind them uh, from time to time. You've yeah. had those same experiences, though. Uh, absolutely, it's and it's it's so true. And that's been a challenge actually this year. Is you know, so I worked with Simon for all my Red Bull years. So that was I think five years. Um, and now this year at Renault, I got a, a new engineer. So getting that's that's kind of under kind of underestimated as well as how important that relationship is and and. Not only him being smart enough to engineer the car, but that communication and, and getting to know each other's language and, again, knowing when to pick each other up and showing confidence and showing fight. So that's that's been, you know, a, a process, but it's been really cool. And, yeah, it's it's powerful. You know, your engineer is – it has to be your best friend. This is just your, you having learned to go in and attack into those difficult situations just full on and not be fearful because you know that that's where you get the most – opportunities a chance to improve right that's a bit your new learned approach right yeah that was and that was actually i wanted to touch on it earlier when we discussed the honey badger and the reason as well for me like putting myself out there and and changing my approach with the racing and being aggressive was there was too many times you know throughout my whole career where i would leave the track on a sunday night feeling sorry for myself and basically leaving with regrets if only I tried that, if only I did that, you know, the gap was there. I should have done it. Why didn't I try? And there was all, I was constantly like going through that and it, it felt terrible. And I felt like I wasn't doing it justice, you know, my, myself or people that were supporting me. So I kind of just made also when I, I guess, adopted the honey badger, I, I kind of made that pact to myself that I would rather try and fail. So try and, and potentially crash then not try at all. You know, I, I can live with myself so much better if I have a go. And I think also the people around me, un- unless I'm being reckless, you know, they're going to respect me. So, and then it, it kind of, once, once I started getting it, then, you know, your confidence builds and, and you have confidence to keep doing it and it feels good. It feels great. And, you know, I, I did fail a few times, but it was so much better than just sitting behind someone the whole race and being hesitant to pull the trigger. Cause you don't, you get nothing from that, you know, unless you're in the last race fine for a championship and that's a different scenario, but it's not, yeah, I just, it's so much more fulfilling going for it and, and leaving it all out there. Cause I guess why, why else? I know it doesn't really make sense any other way, really. Let's go for a Michael Jordan quote. I know he was on your, on your mm. uh, kids rooms wall. Yeah. And he was a big inspiration to you. And the quote from him is you miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. Yeah. That's exactly. a cool quote. Really cool. So come on, everybody, let's go for it. Really cool. Let's take those shots. Yeah. Right? I, I encourage that without anyone in, and that's obviously in a racing term and, and him in, in basketball reference, but it's, it can be with anything. And, and even like my friends, you know, I'll, when I see that, and I, you got to be careful, but sometimes I'm just like, I'll just, I want to say it how it is. And, you know, if some of my friends aren't happy with their life or their job or what they're doing, I'm just like, well, what's, what's the point? Like, why are you still doing this like what are you afraid of and just go for it try and if you fail who cares like some of my friends have talked about maybe leaving leaving Perth and and traveling abroad and finding a job and whatever and I'm like 
or if you travel and, and it doesn't work and you don't find a job that works or you love, you got nothing to lose. You, you're going to have so much experience from the traveling that you won't go home with your tail between your legs. Like you'll, you'll be fulfilled in, in some way or another. And um, yeah, I guess it's just important that like we only do get, sorry, I'm going a bit deep, but we do only get like one chance at, at all this. It's like, for me, it just seems silly not to make the most of it and at least try, try be something or do something than just exist. That's an awesome life approach. And uh, I'll give you some credit at this point. Whenever you would appear in my rear wing, in my rear view mirrors, <laughs> yeah. it would be <laughs> the most uh, non-nice feeling because <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I know I was at the highest risk of anybody else uh, to, to lose my position now yeah. and, uh, and to succumb to an attempt at a, a crazy lunge, which usually works for you. Um, so I'll give you credit for that. Thanks. I, the, Bud Budapest 2015. It didn't work yeah, well that, for us. Uh, yeah, but, but that, that was... I was pretty far back. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, hadn't so had a ended, podium in a that while. That ended with me in a puncture. But <laughs> I'll probably take most of the blame myself. But anyway, it ended with me in a puncture and you breaking your front wing a little bit, but you still finished third. So I'll give you credit for that. Uh, that's I'll be honest now, that's the feeling I always had when I saw you behind. All right, I was thanks. like, oh no, not him again. Come on, couldn't it be anybody else? <laughs> thanks for um, your honesty. But let's go. You had some awesome teammates. Um, Seb Max. Mm -hmm. I, I want to avoid using the, um, asking you the usual journalist questions because I know that they just suck. But uh, of course, for the listener, that's really interesting. Maybe especially in the way of what can we learn from those guys? What did you pick out from from Seb? You destroyed him, if I may say, in my words. <laughs> uh, and you're the only guy in the in the world for now to have destroyed him in that way. Leclerc uh, is yeah. uh, Leclerc now has a has a sure. chance. At, yeah. the at the moment, it seems. Let's see how how it goes. But he could have turned into an upper hand similar to the one you had, maybe. But you really destroyed him. But was there anything anyways that you were able to learn from, from Seb? I mean, you were really young. You came into the team. What was he doing amazingly? Because he's a four-time world champion at the time. Yeah, I, I was I was excited for that challenge and and the on-track challenge, but also to see how he worked off, off track. And I think um, a lot of attention to detail. You know, he's I think he lives and breathes racing um, in terms of I, I felt he didn't have many other hobbies you know, it was, it was pretty much racing and he was really just absorbed a lot by it. Um, so just time with the engineers and also he, he had a good way of communicating. He, I think he was firm, but not disrespectful, you know, so he would tell if, if something wasn't good enough, he would say, it's not good enough. We can do better. But it was in a way which, yeah, it, it got the message across and it was, as I said, firm, but he was direct, but still kind still shook everyone's hand like yeah there was just he, he had a good balance i guess and uh so yeah probably just the work ethic um impressive and with max i think you know one thing i definitely saw and and realize and understand is is it it definitely helps having a quick teammate you know i think there was times where i got more out of myself when i didn't think i could and he probably could say the same, you know, and, and I really think that we pushed each other more and more and got that extra two tenths that sometimes we didn't think was there. So, you know, with Max, one thing, he was just quick out of the box as well, like FP1 first lap, just go. Like there wasn't much of a feeling out process. Um, I think he drives on a lot of probably just instinct and um, he just goes. So, um, yeah, there wasn't much of a building up and, you know, a new track kind of feeling it and getting the tires in. Um, so 
he's still, I guess, technical, but he's probably got less. I think Seb much more of a sensitive driver, a lot more sensors in his body to kind of communicate with the car. Where Max drives probably more off instinct and and raw raw talent. It seems a bit like the Michael Schumacher Lewis Hamilton comparison for me. It's very very similar. Yeah, it's Michael Schumacher is very similar to Seb. The mm -hmm. details, maybe it's a German team, thing. The, possibly, <laughs> possibly actually. Yeah. Uh, the team communication, the leadership you know really um driving everybody in the same direction as a, as a leader as well mm -hmm. really really cool to see with michael and lewis is just similar to what you said about max just much more that unbelievable raw um raw talent and and less so of the whole calculated rational working ethic details uh, mm -hmm. things like that it's there as well but not to the not to the extent i guess it's uh, maybe quite similar so if and who's quicker seb max if you had to pick one um, on one lap single lap straight out of the box yeah max correct <laughs> Yeah, and that's law. I yeah, I won't take anything away from Seb. Like Seb is not slow by any means, but uh, I would say on raw speed, probably more as well because Max is still young, and I think if he's quick now, he's probably only going to get quicker. Where Seb's been doing it that long, I think you'll always improve as a driver, but there's probably less room to grow for Seb, and there's more for Max. So yeah, I'll I'll say that. If Seb's listening, sorry Seb. <laughs> You're still a badass, it's all right. <laughs> um, change is terrifying, you said. Ah, but ah, but you terrible. still you still learn in life that that's where you get the most excitement and the most growth for yourself in life. And is that also one of the reasons then why you went for this huge, uh, in your words, one of the biggest life changes ever uh, and life decisions, no? Mm -hmm. To go from Red Bull to Renault? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one thing I... I guess I, I've learned over time and, and with, I guess, in, in, in all aspects through through my sport, but in, in general with life. And I think it's important to evolve. I think that's a, it's a nice word because as evolve as a person, evolve as, a, as an athlete, whatever, um, to kind of constantly grow and try to push yourself. And, and I felt um, at Red Bull, I guess, it was I was – I didn't feel like I could do much more. You know, I was it was fairly limited and the window was kind of closing. I, I was working, you know, with the same people for quite a while now and, and we'd been obviously trying to get to that world title, but we kept coming up short and yeah, I just, I felt like it was probably just a little bit of a, in a way, routine sometimes and, and I just felt I needed something else to also switch my mindset and to, in a way, force me to to grow and evolve and um and that's that was really part of the a big part of the reason to to move and and to switch it up so yeah it was it was for sure like scary because it was a bit of an unknown of course but um i haven't looked back and and as soon as i made the decision i felt like it was the right thing and and i knew it wasn't going to be easy and and i know now there's still a lot of work to do but personally already i feel really fulfilled and even so far this year, I feel the work I'm putting in and, and my attention to detail, like I'm getting more out of myself. So I I can't I can't argue with that. So would you say maybe that you've learned to to the importance of pushing yourself into discomfort and, and pushing yourself to grow brings you more happiness as well? Is that what you've learned for, for your life? Yeah, I, I think so, you know, and, and does it mean I'm happy, you know, running around in eighth or something? No, I'll, I'll only be completely happy when I'm winning. But at that sense of absolutely like fulfillment and leaving leaving a race weekend with, I don't know, just a bit more of a, yeah, because even sometimes like a podium, I mean, podiums are great, but, you know, I'll, 
I don't know, sometimes even on a podium, I'll be like, ah, could I have done more? Could I have done better maybe? And and then, I don't know, I guess now, even if it's not a great result on paper, I feel like, wow, okay, we, we worked. I worked really well with the team. We got the car from here to here. Still not where we want to be, but yeah, I don't know. It's just... There's something, there's something extra now, which I'm finding, which, which is cool. And hopefully it eventually forms a two word prize starting with W and then it with a, with a C, but, uh, yeah, anyway, I'm trying to be clever. I'm not clever. (laughs) A world championship. A two prize. (laughs) Yeah. Let's call winning the world championship a two prize. Yeah. There you go. But, uh, (laughs) but it's been all right. It's been all right. Have you, have you, do you understand your, um, your purpose already in life? Is that still something you're looking for or have you understood it at the moment? I mean, it's winning the two prize, um, but, yeah. but you, do you already know your bigger purpose in life? Have you figured that out? Uh, it's a good question. I, I, I've probably never been asked that direct before. I definitely feel, yeah, I mean, I feel the racing is more than just racing and I see it now with age that, you know, what I'm doing, yes, it's what I want to do and I've got the target to be world champion, but it's having a ripple effect, you know, throughout other areas of life. And like people are coming up to me, like that's when it feels really quite nice is someone comes up to me like, Oh, you, you helped me get through this hard time or, Oh, you know, my, my mum was sick and seeing your smile on TV and hearing your thing like that helped us so much through it. And like some, some crazy things like that, which, um, yeah. So as far as a purpose, um, I guess the way maybe I go about things and, and keep that perspective and that positive side of the way I go about racing or just life, I guess, is having a positive effect on some people. And yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I don't actively try to like be that person, but it obviously the way I'm doing it is having an effect. So that's nice. Um, beyond racing, I, I don't know yet. I don't know. We'll see. But um. I would love to, I would love to, as much as I love racing, I would love to find another real passion in life and to find something else to pursue once it's all done. And um, yeah, I guess find another purpose on on a professional level, but not sure yet. Nice nice that you're so aware of how inspiring you are though in what you're doing with so many people around the world, because that's, that's, that's powerful. It feels weird even talking about it, but again, I'm, I'm at an age now where I can probably understand and acknowledge it and it is nice. Um, if you can, if you can change someone's day or I don't know, to have that effect, it's weird. Cause I, I don't feel like I'm anyone different to anyone else, but yeah, it's, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But you are in the, you're in the 99.9th percentile in, in human performance. Yeah. with what you're doing and, and the attitude that, <laughs> the attitude that, and this is what I love about podcasting that it's uh, really, I'm getting so many comments below of, wow, that's so inspirational lessons from the guests that I've, uh, that I brought on. And, and uh, please, if you're uh, watching on YouTube on this occasion, please as well comment below because it's always nice to hear. And, and I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to reply as well. And it's really cool. That's YouTube is such a positive platform as well. And podcasting, I I think. So that's what I love about, uh, about doing podcasts. And I'm sure again, with all that you've been talking about, there's going to be some amazing, uh, amazing inspirations for, for the, for you who's listening. I'm very sure that podcasts are great. And I, I've really got into the last few years and even this now, like being able just to have a conversation and with no distractions, with no Unfortunately, you go out, if you go out to dinner with friends and that, and 
you try and start having a conversation then someone brings out their phone and it's 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 always a bit broken and um i don't know i think podcast is great because it encourages just real conversation with just pure FaceTime, no other distraction. And I mean, this is the longest conversation we've ever had in, you know, how many years of traveling. So it's cool. But um, I'll just quickly ask you a question if that's cool. What was your, um, what drew you towards, I guess, having a podcast? And, and is it just you, you enjoy the conversation or you, you feel you could learn more through other people? No, that's, um, uh, that's quite simple. So the, the, the purpose of the podcast is I really wish to extract these life lessons for all of us, for, for me who's listening to you now and, and for everybody who's listening, that's m what I really want to achieve because I find it very inspiring. Uh, for example, there's Tony Robbins out there or, mm -hmm. or Tim Ferriss, uh, which are the greatest podcasters. Or one of my favorite actually is The School of Greatness. And by the way, um, I was reading the book this morning and took a lot of points, which I've asked you today from that book, okay. from The School of Greatness. One other point, which is going to come in a second, uh, Lewis Howes. And it's also it's so it's so cool, and and I love that, and and I've taken so much from myself, and this is what I want to try and achieve as well now with my podcast to to give back to everybody who's who's listening, um, and because as well it's a topic that I've I've worked so much on, so I think I've come to a point where I, I do have certain understandings for some things uh, in this whole area of personal development and self improvement, because I had um, studied philosophy for ten years and and worked with a psychologist for ten years, and especially in the last year of winning the world championships so intensely. And so I have a lot of, uh, and there's an ocean of knowledge out there, which we're all not tapping into. Mm -hmm. And I can only encourage to, we were speaking about it in the car yeah. and you were like, are you sure that's a good idea? Like, isn't that a bit scary to see all that, <laughs> all that's out there in terms of uh, possible uh, mental improvements or, or, yeah. or struggles or all the rest of it that you can learn about? And I was like, no, no, it's unbelievable. Because uh, everything that the two of us will feel on a, on a daily basis has been felt before by a genius in the past who's been able to write it down in a book in the way that we can understand it very easily. Everything that we experience has already, has already been experienced previously in any extreme form or whatever. And so when you then read about it in a way that it's really easy to understand, it sort of it often just clicks for you. And understanding is powerful because mm -hmm. if you understand why you're jealous, why you're scared, why you're angry, it will, much, it will help you so much in, in understanding. It help you to react in a more uh, appropriate way um, with a bit of time and it's, it's just extremely powerful and it has a snowball effect then so i can only recommend to everybody who's listening right. uh start with reading the school of greatness book yeah very nice okay really really cool and it's also an ex-sportsman um uh, ex-american uh, uh, football what's um, his name lewis house lewis house yeah all right uh, and, and lewis if you're listening i want to come on your podcast please as a guest <laughs> all right uh, i would be honored okay uh, <laughs> one more thing then goals you said um you said you want to be world champion in uh, a lot of the uh, most famous people, they take the time to write down their goals specifically on a piece of paper and remind themselves of the short-term, long-term goals on a daily basis, keep looking, and, and it really gives a direction in life. Um, so you're not going all over the place with your head. Have you done that for yourself? Or is it just in your head that you've set your goals and, and can you take us through them? Uh, so I, I haven't actually written down that I guess set goals. I mean, yeah, in my head, I know what I want to achieve, but yeah. yeah, I haven't said by this race or by, by July, I want to be here and there. It's probably a good thing. And actually I've just recently started, um, writing a journal or a diary. Ah, oh, that's super um, powerful as well. Insane. Amazing. Insane. Like it is so, I don't know how it's, it sounds so silly and not silly, but so simple, but 
the release and because you're just you're writing to yourself and you're so honest and it's just completely transparent and it's 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 like you're venting and releasing a whole lot of thoughts emotions and it, it's awesome so that is maybe that's my my step towards then writing down these goals but that already has has been super awesome for me um you know the past couple months and yeah so and even just to i mean i see you've done it like even just it sounds silly but to handwrite it feels good like we we obviously did it at school now it's just so much you know typing on your phone or whatever and to to just sit down there and write it's it's kind of meditating and and i've enjoyed that a lot and then so for goals um yeah i'll i'll come back to you on it but i think you know just being general with let's say my move to reno is is i i really I want, obviously I want it to work, but I, I want to feel like I've, I've really had a contribution, you know, and I want to feel like everything I've done has been for the right reasons. And it's, it's motivated the team. It's pushed the team towards being something that I believe they can be. And, and I, I believe they believe that as well. So I, I can't put a position on it this year. It, it's, it's more than just what position we're going to come. It's, it's having an impact. And, and as you said a bit about Michael, you know, he had such a, an influence in the team and bringing them together. And I think it's a real opportunity for me to try and um, exploit that opportunity and that position and that role. So just have some ownership, some responsibility and do the damn thing. But that's an awesome goal to set because impact is something that is completely in your control, how mm -hmm. much impact you have. Yeah. And uh, if you set your goal on the result, there's so many things that are just out of your control. So high chance that it'll cause you a lot of uh, a lot of pain. But if you mm -hmm. are on impact, that's such a cool uh, cool way to set your goal and and, and co co collective impact as a team and your impact going into the team and team spirit. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's a really really um, awesome approach. Final words of, of uh, um, advice to the younger kids or, or the teenagers listening, please. I mean, I, I guess I touched on a bit before, but. I think, you know, the the one from, from my own experience is that I was first and foremost, you have to enjoy what you're doing. And again, it sounds so simple and it's so basic, but I think sometimes the most basic things are the the best and the you know the most obvious. So have fun. I know my best results, you know, in, in my sport have come through the days that I've been enjoying it and having fun. And you know, you feel weightless and it brings a, a level of confidence and desire. And many hurdles will come along the way and things change, but that is so important to really love it. And it has to be, there are some, you know, I guess, pushy parents out there in the world. And, and unfortunately, sometimes it's their dream and not their kids, but it definitely has to be your dream. And I don't know, I guess I, I'm not going to go too deep. I'll literally just say it has to be the one thing that you love doing more than anything else. And Yeah, I think then it's so much easier to work, put the work in for it if you're enjoying it. You know, it won't feel like work. You know, the hours you're putting in to be better will feel just, that could be fun as well. But yeah, not that deep, not that inspiring, but. <laughs> I'll add a few. And, and so I guess it's really the courage to, uh, to remain true to yourself. Mm -hmm. That's really the most important to try. And it's so hard. Yes. It's so, so hard. Yes. I'm miles away from it still myself, although I'm trying. Um, but I think that's the biggest uh, message, I guess. Be courageous. Yes. True to yourself. That's and now with you know it's it's probably going to be even harder for the youth coming up now with with social media with all these wow. outside pressures expectations. 
don't and and you see it all the time people are trying to be some it's all right to look up to people 100% but be you and do your thing that makes you tick and makes you happy and create your own path and and be bold enough and brave enough to do do things your way but yeah it's easy to get lost so that's where i i definitely give credit to my family and just having good friends around you you know you will make new friends along the way that's cool and that's fine but don't forget your your day ones because they're the ones that will always bring you back if you're getting a bit a bit lost out in that crazy world we live in <laughs> okay thank you very much last Nailed thing it. my daughter asked me to give you this uh, gift is from her car ah. <laughs> no she she said this morning i said i'm going to do a podcast with daniel and she's like daddy daddy uh, daddy please please give him this from me <laughs> you know what your daughter she's three and a half three and a half yeah but she, she watches the races with me well she's very clever because it's the left mirror which is exactly of course, the one i did course. not look in of course perfect perfect <laughs> there you go i still be able to laugh about it one day i guess today is the day <laughs> so a uh, dear listener if you're an audio i have to sorry Go i have to it. fill in the That's moment right. a little bit so i just gave daniel uh the rear view mirror on the left hand side of my daughter's little tiny mercedes car um because um she was concerned that your mirror must have been broken in in azerbaijan recently at the race when you reversed uh, right into the car that was parked behind you <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, guilty so smart do- smart daughter i have <laughs> <laughs> she's learned well she's learned well from you okay thank you very much Thanks Thank for you. having thanks, me. Thanks thanks for listening and uh, all of us uh, wish you of course all the best for the rest of the season and that you achieve your dreams and goals that you've uh, set out to do. Thank you kindly. Thanks. Yeah.